Welcome back to the Rockcast, everyone, sponsored by Onyx Hunt Maps. Today we have Robbie Denning back on. We're going to talk about the season. It's not quite wrapped up, but pretty close. Yeah, my home state of Idaho is basically, unless you have a late tag or you're hunting late archery seasons, the uh, whistle has sounded. Game over. Fat lady has sung. <laughs> oh, man. So I, I shot a buck this year. That was kind of a, a cool deal. Ended up scouting some deer in June and didn't really get to get back in there until, oh, later July. Wasn't able to find him again. Hunted it a little bit during archery season. Uh, wasn't able to find him then either. And then ended up going back later on when it had snowed. And I found a buck that was literally 500 yards from where I had been scouting him that summer. And that goes back to to what you've always told me don't leave if you know that they're there i mean i knew that they probably had to be on that hillside i guess but you just start second guessing yourself oh yeah i do it all the time and and um and and sometimes it just doesn't work out you don't see them again i, I mean honestly that's what usually happens so then it kind of reinforces the whole thing that, oh, i'll do deer just random and you know they're they're gone you know and so then you start hunting either you just get sloppy or you, you know, this is what I used to do. Frick, I'd move a hundred miles, literally. Oh, I'm going to go over to such and such unit, you know? And, um, but I still think more often than not, um, you know, or before the migration and, and, um, the, the rut, although sometimes they still stick around during the rut, depending on the elevation, but I, I just still think you're better off to hunt right there. It, but there, there, there's always got to be a couple of qualifiers and let, let's break your hunt down, Jordan. So was what, what elevation, like, was this a high country buck? Was this a low country buck, mid elevation? And what, what, I mean, describe the area a little bit. Yeah, I would call it for that area. So it was about, I looked it up just the other day at 7,800 feet. Okay. where my pin is dropped okay. where I shot him and that's pretty high country for that area mm-hmm. like that's probably 1500 foot off the top gotcha so the tops are um, nine maximum yeah right in yeah right in there okay. and so that's kind of the area that that it was and even when I scouted him in the summer they were down there you know, they weren't at the tippy tippy tops. I never saw a deer that was at the very tippy top. Was the um, tippy top deer country? Was it green or was it just that rocky stuff or that really short sage, you know, no cover? What, I mean, what kind of described that a little bit? Yeah, I thought that there was cover up there. I thought it was green. I really thought that I was going to see deer up mm-hmm. there and they just, they just weren't. And that was, it was kind of funny. Uh, even some of the other areas I was looking at where it seemed like it was really green and where a deer would be when I glass those bucks up in June, it looked like they were on the moon mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where they were. And mm-hmm. it's just, you know, whatever type of forage they were eating on, mm-hmm. they just, that's mm-hmm. where it grew. And so that was one thing that it always seems like it clicks for me every time that I find a deer, but it's like, that's what they're eating on. Like, that's what they like. It doesn't matter what I think that they should be in. Mm-hmm. It's what they're in. So then after I could, after I saw those kind of what they were eating on, I started looking around the hillsides and focusing in more on those areas. And then it seemed like I would pick out smaller bucks mm-hmm. with that same forage type type stuff. But. You know, and I think that's why scouting is, is it's just the great leveler. The great equalizer is, you know, if, if you, if you're not scouting 
And I talk to a lot of guys that don't, that are, some of them are pretty good buck hunters, but usually they're just building on years of hunting the same areas, which is a great technique. Um, but scouting just allows you to, you know, extend your season is a good way to think about it because part of deer hunting, mule deer hunting, there's just a lot of country to rule out. And that book I reviewed back in the summer. So you want to hunt the West for mule deer is written by Daniel Brannigan. I hope we can get him on the podcast sometime. He was from Michigan and then he moved out West. And honestly, he's become very successful um, as what I would call a transplant. A lot of those, those guys, and you know, this is no knock on them. You know, they never get over whitetail hunting. They try to apply whitetail track tactics in the West. It'd be no different if I moved to Michigan, you know, I'd probably suck for a while. Well, he figured it out. And so that's what that was so intriguing about that book was looking at mule deer hunting from a non Nate, non Western native and kind of the thought process he went through. And so this is where I'm going with that is one of, one of his, big challenges with mule deer is he he figured out after a year or two that there's tons and tons of country that have no mule deer in it that looks like it should it it seems like it should it feels like it should but it doesn't and with whitetail and not only heard him say this but other whitetail hunters it seems like they're more evenly distributed in most habitats you know there's some deer over here there's some deer over there you know you just you just go hunting and per square mile there's not a lot of variety in numbers well then when you get into the west and you know m- many of our deer most of our deer are migratory um, you know, there's a few places, the Arizona strip and, you know, de- some, some desert units and everything where, you know, there's resident deer year round, but you know, most of our deer are migrating and, 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 and that's not just a, you know, it snows in November, they migrate to the winter range and then they stay there and then they walk right back in March. It's what they call transitional migrations where, you know, we've got these miles, sometimes hundreds of miles of country between, these habitats that they use and they don't just go through that country overnight. You know, they meet some of these Wyoming deer that we're, we're studying they're taking months to make that voyage. And so we, part of our challenge is, is, is ruling out country just like that doesn't have any deer in it. That doesn't have any deer in it. And, and that's what scouting does. And, 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 and when you were talking about that, Jordan, you know, you went scouting in there and, you know, you looked at the top of that mountain. Hey, that looks, you know, Bucky, it's got what they should have. Just think if that would have been opening day, the first time you ever would have been in there. I, 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 I'm willing to say that you probably would have spent, you would have wasted time trying to find bucks up in that country. Heck, you may have even dropped a pin on Google Earth and backpacked up there and had the perfect camp, everything, 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 everything set. And man, two days into the season, there's not a deer around here where scouting can save you some of that pain. Not always. I've been, I've been messed up on scouting too, but, um, but, but to me, that's why, why it's so important because those are now days that you didn't waste on the hunt. And I don't care who we are. You only got so much time. Some people it's just time, just, you know, they don't have you know more than a few days or whatever, but energy. I mean, you can only handle that kind of hunt so much. It is, it wears on, you know, you know, I'm talking backcountry, you know, away from the roads, you know, sleeping on the ground, probably backpacking, you know, there's not a lot of people that can do it a long time. And so, you know, you waste two or three days of a hunt and then you got to move camp, which is if you're backpacking, that's a, you know, more energy put out. 
a lot of guys I talk to that are, that are failing, they're just running out of energy and then, and, and, or, and, and or time. And, and so that's why I'm such a big advocate of, of, of learning kind of going back to places that you've been before or, or scouting. Cause you can just, those are, those are days you're not going to burn on the hunt. Mm-hmm. Yep. I totally agree. And then when archery season opened, I basically did it anyway, Robbie mm-hmm. screwed it up. I, I got to go back in there late, late July, early August, right in there somewhere. We went back, we wanted to backpack in and actually hop one ridge past where I had seen those deer and glass back at them and ended up getting a flat tire and kind of derailed that situation. Just, you know, took our timetable quite a bit backwards. Um, so when I got to the top, I didn't have time to go to the next ridge and glass back. So I just ran down the ridge that I had seen them on and I ended up jumping like two or three bucks up that were bedded on the north side of that ridge and in some, like in some burn. And then I just start thinking about burns and, you know, how they can be really good and whatnot. So I decided that the next day we weren't able to find any deer but I knew that I had, I knew what I'd seen and there were really good beds in there and they weren't much on the North side, but they were on the North side is what I took it as. So when archery season opened, we ended up backpacking in and staying at a place where we could glass into that burn. And we were, I mean, we were there, or I was there for four nights, I think three days, four nights. And it was, I saw like a little forky. Mm-hmm. and that was all and then just glassing in a burn too you know how that is with no snow it is like once i found a deer i'm like no wonder we're not seeing anything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they're just so hard to find but mm-hmm. then at that point like you were just saying we were committed backpacked in mm-hmm. it wasn't just and we only had um you know especially leah can only hunt the weekends we only had a couple days so it was like do you burn a lot of time going out and trying to get a new game plan or do you just stick it out we stuck it out but mm-hmm. we were pretty committed at that point so then i, I kind of started thinking about slopes and and digging into that a little bit more and then i re-listened to a podcast i did with you about scouting it was actually a couple years ago and you were talking about the north facing slopes, especially in burns. You just hadn't had that much luck mm-hmm. finding deer in there. Yeah. You know, burns are, um, burns can be awesome, but, um, they're not all the same. They're not all created equal by any means. And, you know, for anybody that hasn't read Jim Carr's, uh, article on rock slide called hunting the burns, go Google that. That is, that is education. And he talks about that in there that, you know, you can't just say, okay, there's a burn and it's going to be good. It has all kinds of, of factors that play into it, you know, aspect or slope that you're talking about. What direction does it face? If it's a north facing burn, um, it, it could take longer to come back because, you know, it's not getting the sunlight that south facing and west and east facing burns get. And then probably a whole bunch of stuff we don't even understand. But I know one thing, I've been around burns enough to know that there's a bunch of a bunch of them or parts of them that don't don't attract anything. And then some of them are gold mines. You know, I hunted a burn just a few weeks ago, part of a burn that's probably 25 years old and it's still it's still good. Uh, it's not great. It's not fantastic, but it's still pulling animals in. And, and it was such a big burn 
And um, it, it just took out so much timber. It's just taken a long time to come back. It's just really starting to get the conifers in it now, um, which are, you know, what, what really stops the productivity of, of the land is when the conifers become mature. Um, no sunlight's getting to the ground. And so, you know, the burn is going to be less productive. Well, this burn just, they're just hardly, and plus it's high elevation. So it's hard for trees to come back at high elevation and lower elevation um, because of, of wind basically. And, 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 and just harshness of weather, high, high snow loads and stuff. But you know, then there's other places that guys will hunt a burn for a couple of years and then it just, it sucks. It just goes away, you know? So I think, I think it gets down to the scouting thing. You just gotta, you just gotta be looking all the time. And Jordan, you may go back there next year and that burn might actually be better. Um, I can think of a burn in Southern Idaho that was, it was in 2013 and I scouted it. I haven't scouted it the last couple of years, but when I scouted it in 2018, the north facing sides of the burn, the brush was getting really high by then. It was a five-year-old burn. The timber's still gone, but the brush is five feet tall. The bucks are still going crazy in there. They're, they were still there five years later. You know, that burns, that burn's actually doing fine. So, yeah, I'm kind of going on and on, but I, I just think mm -hmm. that in hunting, it's, there's not a lot of absolutes. And I think we, we kind of got to be, we kind of got to be careful with that stuff. The every burn is, is going to be good. And, and, and then the whole subject about North facing slopes, I get a lot of questions about North facing slopes. Oh yeah. Bucks bet on North facing slopes. And I'm like, well, I see a lot of bucks that don't bet on North facing slopes, because if you think about it, a great big tree growing on a South facing slope has a shadow on its north side and, you know, maybe five or six trees, big spruce, they'll bed right on that thing. They'll bed there all day and be in the shade. You know what I mean? And the slope, oh, yeah. the slope may be warmer than the north side, but it's still got what they need. Um, I, I can think of another place that has a north facing slope. It's pretty good butt country. It's got some good, um, good avalanche slides in it, which are like, um, perpetual burns because every time the avalanche slides it turns up the ground i'm going to do a blog post on that pretty soon and and so the bucks will go over there but it's still not a shoe in to find bucks in all the time it's just not they're not there every day i've i've watched them go in there and feed a little bit and leave and that's why you sometimes you hear me say you know they're responding to conditions we don't even perceive oh and by the way nobody goes over there i have yeah, I've seen a couple hunters over there, but for the most part, you've got it to yourself. You move to the south and the west facing slopes, um, you know, the horse trails over there, just more hunters, but honestly, more bucks are over there too. You know, it, 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 some of the stuff is just counterintuitive, but I keep saying it. That's why it goes back to scouting and or hunting your areas a lot because because you'll pick up on that stuff. But, you know, I pity these guys that'll, that'll tell me, yeah, you know, I'm from Arizona. Everything beds on the north facing slopes. And, you know, I'm coming to Idaho. That's what I'm going to hunt. And then I get a PM from them a couple weeks later. Man, I got spanked. It's like, well, it's because Idaho is not Arizona. It would make sense to me that in, you know, in especially the you know hotter parts of Arizona, that may, maybe more north facing slopes are more attractive, you know, because it's so flipping hot. Um, 
but you know what what works there may may not work here and that to me that's what makes a complete deer hunter is you know they can kind of put all those things together from scouting and hunting and reading and learning and you know and 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 and, and it shortens it shortens the learning curve every time you go to a new area it doesn't mean you're going to be you know I, I probably get my butt kicked in Arizona for a while but I've hunted deer enough and I've hunted low elevation stuff and I've hunted um, deserts and things like that that you know I, I could probably get a game plan rolling you know pretty quick. Yeah. It just takes time and it just takes a lot of time of burning weekends. Like I just talked about to just figure that out. And then, but then we knew because of the scouting in the summer, we kind of knew where to move and we ended up, I still didn't, I ended up glassing that, that South facing slope where we had seen those bucks and I did not, couldn't pick them up. So we ended up, we completely, did we moved areas completely and ended up getting probably a little lucky. I just consulted my Onyx maps and looked at a place where I thought there should be deer. It was a couple miles in off the trailhead and we went in, got on a glassing point and immediately we're picking up deer like right and left. And some of them were small bucks, but we ended up finding a decent buck that I'm just crossing my fingers. I can find in there next year. Mm-hmm. Um, but when rifle season opened, we went in there the first day, didn't see the buck that we had found during archery season. And then the next day it snowed. And so with that snow, um, and the high country was completely socked in, uh, we were at the, at the elevations that we were at anyways. And so I thought, well, I know where I've seen some, you know, some deer sign scouting and whatnot since it snowed and they, those deer will really pop from a distance. This is this will be the day that I go cover country and glass out of the pickup from a long ways away, and, and just like try to cover country. And I think that's where it clicked in my brain about being very intentional mm-hmm. on what I was doing. Like, even though the high country was socked in and it wasn't the greatest day mm-hmm. to like be up and out doing that, that kind of stuff. I still, I had pins marked on my map and I knew exactly where I was going to park to be able to see that or where the little, you know, high point I was going to walk to, to see into that area. And yeah, being intentional really clicked with me this year. Were those pins that you had set from previous hunts or just digital scouting? A couple of them were digital scouting. A couple of them were actually scouting during the summer where I had seen a couple of where I'd seen some deer. And that's how it's been for me is, you know, I get a lot of questions on digital scouting and I'm like, I'm not a big digital scouter. Um, I use it more after I've been to an area. I mean, I look before I go, obviously, Mm -hmm. but it's still until I get there and, you know, the bucks don't lie. You know, when I start seeing bucks, I'm like, okay, this is, these conditions, this time of year, whatever, this, this is where they're at. Then going back to digital scouting makes a lot more sense to me because it's like, okay, in this unit, the deer are using this kind of stuff. In fact, looking at that slope over there, that is way too rocky for deer. But when I look at it on, on Onyx or Google Earth, it almost looks like deer country. You know, I, I, I might've dropped a pin there if I was just sitting at my desk, but now that I'm up here, I'm like, oh no, there's no freaking deer over there. That's big horn sheep country. You know what I mean? And so that's, that's how I use the two together. I mean, I think digital scouting is awesome, but it's, it's not the, it's not the end all. Some guys do really well. I mean, you know, but I still think it's a little bit luck, you know, cause you read those success stories like, oh yeah, man, I just picked a, picked a pin. I just talked to a guy on Monday night. that just dropped a pin on a, on a unit. He's never hunted in, in Colorado. 
and uh, got in there opening morning, which was Saturday, got a crack at a 200 inch buck. That buck's still alive and he's sick at his stomach, but you know, there was a big buck there. And so it, it can totally work, but those are the stories we hear. We don't hear about as many as, man, I hiked six miles up this drain. <laughs> this sucks. You know, there's nothing up here. You know, you know what I mean? And so I, I yeah. just throw that out there to, you know, definitely invest in, in digital scouting, you know, definitely have, 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 have Onyx on your, um, on your phone, use that kind of stuff, but don't put all your eggs in that basket. That's what I'm trying to say to use an old tired, tired cliche, you know, get out, get out there and get some boots on the ground. If you can't do boots on the ground, talk to people and no, you can't get on a rock side and tell me, ask people to tell you where to, the best place to hunt a unit is, man, they'll, they'll laugh you off the forum. Um, but you know, that's, I just, just making relationships and getting to know people, um, you know, people will share information if, if, if it feels safe and they don't just, they don't just feel used. Um, um, you know, you, you can, you can find a lot of good tips that way too. Awesome. So that day, the midday, I ended up, I checked a couple of the pins I had dropped in a completely different drainage from just from e-scouting. And so I checked those, I saw a bunch of does moving around. It was just that kind of a day, like deer were just moving. So I dropped some pins where the does were, which ended up helping later. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go back and I'm going to check the area where we had early archery hunted. And then where I had scouted those bucks in the summer. And I'm going to hunt that this evening and give that a full evening of, of glassing. Cause I know that there's deer there. So that's pretty much what I did. The, I looked at the weather. The weather was supposed to break about four o'clock and sure enough, it pretty much did Parked the pickup on the road, went up the opposite side of the drainage and just started glassing across and four 30 in the afternoon, that buck was on his feet feeding through some trees. And so I dropped back down, ditched a bunch of gear and then went, it's like an 800 foot climb ish and pretty much went straight almost straight to him. I, I marked on my map where I thought he was, but it didn't know for sure. But I knew like elevation wise that I was going to be pretty close, even if it wasn't in the same pocket. So I got on his same elevation. I actually glassed him up, walking through some trees. He was like at 600 yards. And I just, I really did not think that I was going to be able to get closer just with the topography that there was just wasn't much topography. Um, so, and did, no, no, not too much. Um, but he was in a little pocket of trees. So then he's like in and out of the trees and there's, you know, it's really hard getting a lane type of a deal. So I just kept, I moved until I got, I had a tree in between that pocket that he was in and me. And I just started walking my way over there and going slow. You know, I take eight, 10 steps sometimes stopping glass, make sure he wasn't staring at me. And I worked within, um, I got to like 250 yards and glassed him. I glassed his butt up bedded behind a tree. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's a deer, but his, the, I was a little bit above him at that point. So all that vegetation, just the trees that he was in, all the big branches were covering his head. And so I couldn't, I couldn't get a lane to shoot and I, but I was pretty sure that that was that deer. And so I thought, well, I'll just start making my way down along this hill and try to get straight across from him. Hopefully I'll have a lane. And he got up and walked through the lane. And I, 
I was moving when he did it, and I thought that he was ditching. I thought he had seen something and didn't like it. So I thought, all right, I don't have that much time left, daylight. And I was crawling at that point. So I thought, well, I'm just going to bend over, just get low, and then work my way up to him. And hopefully he's not too spooked and is around there and I can just get a shot off at him. And he didn't, hadn't known that I was there. And, um, when I started moving, I'd like walk three steps in glass, try to see him, couldn't see him about three or four times of that. I was walking and he had seen me came out into a lane and was, he was broadside and I got down on my pack and that was, it, it was at like two thirty probably 220, 230 right in there. And I thought he was facing me for a while. And, um, but he was actually broadside, but there was a giant pine tree branch, right. And his covering his basically his whole body, but I pretty much had him. Like if he backed up a little bit, I'd have a shot. And if he went forward a little bit, I'd have a lane and he walked forward and I shot him right in the shoulder. But he was, I looked on my Onyx once I got to him and he was 500 yards from where I had glassed those bucks in like pin to pin. Yep. In June. And that was, was this is yards. roughly 10th, 12th of October. Oh, yep. It was 11th of October. 11th of October. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, quite a bit of snow. And then I walked through a little pocket to get to him and his tracks were everywhere in there. Yeah. They didn't leave that little pocket. They didn't leave it, but they were everywhere. He'd been feeding a lot. Oh, that is so awesome. Jordan, that, that's funny. You, you bring that up too. Cause I have noticed that, um, with, with some of the bucks I've killed, um, if you know, just good tracking conditions or whatever, um, you, you get over there and you start looking around you're like, man, this buck has not moved very far, at least in that couple of days they haven't, you know, you see, and, and, and one of the biggest bucks ever killed around here was back in 2007. It was about a 250, 260 buck general season guy killed it opening day or second day, but it was an intentional buck. He had, he had scouted there. He'd never seen the buck before, but that was when I read his story, it was pretty cool. Cause um, I think he had an opening day and he didn't, he didn't get it, but in fact, that's what it was. But he said all these great big tracks around this, kind of glassing point they're like when he'd hike up to he's like, Man, there's big deer tracks saw him over like a couple hundred yard area and he's like and this buck or two bucks with twin feet gotta be right here and i think he went back the next day or the next day ended up killing that buck and that was and he was a pretty young hunter and that's what he was kind of putting in his story is just how amazed he was at just how much time that buck had spent in that little tiny small area and and that's why i think on average and you hear me say it all the time i don't think they just wander around i, I really don't you know um you know i'm not saying they just stay in one little pocket for five months i mean sometimes they do but i think it's part of their their little routine like maybe that buck you you, you killed um and you know maybe hang out there for a few days week, whatever. Then he moves on, but I don't think he moves way on. I think they just, you know, jump over the ridge, you know, live on the backside for a while. At least, at least that's been my experience. Um, so I'm looking at your buck right now, Jordan, this is on your podcast. You did on October 25th, mule deer, custom trailers, gear, and road trips. And yep. I, that's a good buck. And Jordan, I can tell by his nose, you got him on a side view that, that, that that's, that that's a little bit older buck. Um, did you, did you pull his teeth for me? I don't, because, but I still have him. So if you have the lower jaw, you know, I, I got a, a lab aging service that I contract with. Um, send me those, 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 those front two bottom teeth. They don't have top teeth, but the, okay. the, send me those. Let's get him aged. You know, I'm just looking at him. I mean, this buck, 
three, four, five, six. I mean, he could be seven. I mean, I can see his, his nose looks kind of a little bit shorter and it's a little bit of a Roman nose. You know, it just kind of rounds off at the end and, you know, definitely mature buck, certainly not a young, you know, and, and, and so, you know, for your listeners, that's, that's, that's what Jordan and I are talking about all the time that you know, if you've scouted a buck in the early season, it's just worth sticking it out, you know, for the most part, doesn't mean you're going to get him. I hunted that buck with Jordan in 2019. I was up there 17 days, never saw him again. Maybe he was one of those freak bucks that just like, Oh, I'm gonna live on this mountain for a couple of weeks. And I'm going to move down the drainage three miles. I mean, I know that happens because it's been documented. I, I know that, but I still don't think that that's what a lot of bucks do. Yeah. Yeah. He was, when I saw him on the hillside through the scope on him, he just big pot belly sway back mm-hmm. and like no no brainer and then you know mm-hmm. he had good forks and it's just a good buck on top of that so and he had nice blocky tracks right like his tracks weren't just the classic yeah. pointy track right because you'll see those classic yeah. pointy tracks and they can be big too but those are usually does you know but yeah if, if they're if they're older at all they i don't know what it is if they wear off the front of their foot i don't know i just know know that no matter what state i've hunted in they sort of look the same you know, not always, but, but sort of. So, um, so 500 yards from where you'd scouted him in the summer. Now you're not saying it was exactly one of the bucks that you scouted. It was just in the same area, right? I don't know. I, I, I look back on those, those videos that I took of those bucks in June and I just don't think that he was one of them. Right. Which that sometimes that's what throws people off too. And is, is why I'm not afraid to invest time in scouting because these bucks will bucks attract bucks is, is kind of how That's I think exactly about right. it. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, maybe where you scouted this summer, he wasn't even one of those bucks, but he knows that area. It's got the right things for them, you know, aspect, feed, whatever, lack of pressure, whatever. And so, yeah, on any given day, maybe I don't find the buck I'm looking for. In fact, I usually don't, but if it's a good spot, I'm almost always seeing other bucks and, and, and and the takeaway for that for me is that I'm never, I'm never wasting. I I get, I get, I get emails just drive me nuts. People are like, well, I don't want to waste any time. I'm like, oh, you're going to waste a bunch of time. Yeah. That's just how it is, man. You know, you're going to have to invest time. You're not going to be successful, but I'm never really wasting time. If I'm finding areas that are, that are secure and that are holding a little bit older buck because anything could happen. That's how I killed that 34 incher in 2018. I had never seen that buck before I was changing another buck that was, you know, probably grossed in the low one nineties, not, not a, a very wide buck, real tall, you know, 18, 19 inch G2 is just a good buck. And he disappeared. I mean, he disappeared on the second day of archery season. I never saw him again in five, six, seven, eight days of archery hunting, three or four days of rifle hunting. I never saw that buck again, but right there, just on the backside of that hill, long rifle range from where I'd scouted him. Here's this 34 incher that showed up and it's because they're, they're attracted to the same things. And so, so, you know, just you, just you investing in, in time and learning your unit, everything like that. Yeah. Maybe you're not going to see that same buck again, but you're obviously finding, security and and the combination of things that attract bucks that, you know, it's pulling in other bucks at different times. Yeah. That's why I'm very excited to go back and scout it next year. And a couple of these other places that I fell into. And then, you know, that midday that it was snowing and I glassed all those does, I dropped pins for the does. And then, you know, last weekend was the last weekend of, uh, of the season in Idaho and the 30th, when we had, I sent Leah up to, to where I had shot my buck and she's like, 
I didn't see any tracks. We were post holing in and snow and I'm thinking, well, just because I have talked to some people that know that area really well, they're like, yeah, they tend to bail out early because they do have a big pass to go over. So they start, it seems like they start their migration early. So I just looked at, uh, at the map. We went into a different area and like she shot her buck on the 30th following a doe. And she, and her buck was a good buck too. Yeah. Her buck was a good buck too. Yeah. yeah that's, that's great. And so that's the thing we probably should clarify. Cause you were talking about when you were looking for your buck, you were seeing does, but you know, all you did was drop some pins to try to remember them, but you pretty much ignored them, which is the right thing yep. to do the 10th, 11th, 12th, 15th of October. Cause you know, mature bucks are not in with the does. If you happen to see a mature buck in with the does, he's just feeding on the same hillside, but you start getting, you know, around the 20th and this year was the earliest rut in Idaho that I've ever seen. We were, we were documenting bucks in, in Southeast and Southern Idaho chasing does right around the 19th to the 21st of October. That's about a week early. And I was, I had actually got home by then. My hunt was the the ninth through the 19th. And I didn't see any of that on my hunt. But um, uh, as soon as I got home, guys are hitting me like, man, should bucks be chasing does already? I'm like, gosh, not usually. It's like another week or so. And 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 we're not just talking little two points. We're talking nice guys seeing nice bucks, you know, chasing does. And so um, so back to your little story there. Not surprising at all that you go in on the 30th of October and Leah kills a, a rutting buck chasing a doe mm-hmm. that, you know, looking at the, at the pictures, that's, that's not a two-year-old buck. I didn't look like to me. I mean, that's a, that's a mature buck that she killed. No, he was, he was a good deer, big, big body. It's all happened really fast. We didn't watch him very long. It was just about ready to get dark and just uh, had enough time to run up on a little, little hill and she shot him at 300. Excellent. Yards, so. Excellent. So that was pretty much all she wrote on that. Well, cool. So two, two good bucks, your scouting paid off and you know, the, the, and that, then you can just keep, you know, checking that place every year may not be the same every year, but you know, you'll just kind of get a little library going in your, in your head of the area. And you know, this happens on this year and this got skunked this year. And this year there was no snow and the deer were here. And that that's when you become really deadly. All right, everyone. Hope you're enjoying this podcast. Just want to jump in real quick and thank our sponsor, Onyx Hunt Maps, for powering the podcast, bringing it through your speakers. As I just proved with this last little story from this last season, mapping has been huge for us and marking spots where you've seen deer and it's a really good um, reference point to come back to later season or future years when you come back into a unit and can hunt. Um, It can really, really save you. So, we're going to save you a little bit on a membership with Onyx. If you enter code ROCKCAST at checkout from onyxmaps.com forward slash hunt, you can get 20% off. That'll knock $20 off the elite membership. So go check that out. Mapping, again, has just been instrumental for us in going back and hunting different units. So check that out. Also, I am drinking the Freedom Roast from Black Rifle Coffee right now, and I'm excited to announce that Black Rifle Coffee has come on to the podcast as a sponsor and to Rockslide as a sponsor. So we are super excited about that. I've been using their like membership program where it's basically sets you on an auto ship for about as long, I think, as they've been doing it. I've been on it for probably three years now, maybe going on the fourth year this year. So essentially, I just hop on. 
I choose what roast I like, what kind of coffee you can mix and match, do combos. I think you can throw in like the flavor of the month type of a deal too. What I have on mine is I have the Freedom Roast set up to ship every two weeks. So every two weeks, I don't even have to think about it. They're just going to auto ship me um, a deal of coffee, which is really nice. I bumped that up for the fall because it seems like I go through more coffee and then we're using it for the outfit in Nebraska. And then in the summertime, when I'm dialing it back, I might take that back to like a month or something like that or switch up flavors or whatnot. So Anyways, go check that out. Just wanted to throw that in. Black Rifle Coffee. And yeah, we'll get on to Robbie's story this year. I'm excited to hear about your your season so far. I know it's been eventful. Very much. Um, and I uh, haven't put it out yet at all. Um, I was kind of waiting to see how it wrapped up. But I'm, uh, I'll give you the quick and dirty here. Um, now, it's going to sound like a broken record because people probably think I'm Mr. Bad Winner. But we have had, we just had so many bad winners up until, you know, basically 1920 before we got out of them, you know, but 16, 17 were bad. 17, we had a real small fawn crop. Um, um, just the does weren't in great shape. And then we kind of started to heal up. And then um, the, the winter of 18, 19 started off pretty good, but then February just got horrible. And, um, you know, spring of 19 and, um, you know, that's when, when deer are really vulnerable, you know, you, you get into, you get into February and, 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 you know, they're, they're, they're living on the last of, of what they've got. And, uh, so they got the crap knocked out of them then, you know, it was documented by our fishing game, you know, major fawn losses, you know, three out of four years, we're paying the price for that now. And it was really, really evident this summer. Um, when I started scouting, um, I started about the middle of July on the high country stuff that I was looking at. Maybe I'm, I think I scouted a little bit earlier than that on some of the lower stuff. And our deer numbers um, have have definitely rebounded, you know, because we we've had the the 1920 winter weren't wasn't bad at all. The 2021 winter was actually pretty good, um, other than a little bit dry in the spring. But you know, we we had a lot of fawns hit the ground those two years, and so deer numbers are looking pretty good. Lots of two points in the herd, um, decent numbers of bucks up to kind of about three years old. And then boy, it just drops off after that. And, um, which makes sense if you lost, you know, your, your, your fawns in, that were born in 2016, those would be five-year-old deer right now. Okay. And then, you know, just do the math for 17 and 18. Those would be your three, four year old deer. And that, you know, that's what you're usually starting to get into your pretty nice bucks. And, um, you know, we had good fawn crops in 14 and 15, but those, those deer had to go through that hard winter too. So, you know, that knocked down their numbers and sure enough, I got out there this summer and, um, I put in, you know, probably at least 20 days of scouting this summer. And, you know, we're talking hardcore backcountry horses, you know, going to secure spots where I expect to see deer, um, you know, multiple days. I mean, I, 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 uh, I, I impacted a horse compacted depends on what part of the country you live in. Um, uh, um, you know, rode him so hard that he got dehydrated. He couldn't digest his food, man. We had to take him to the vet. I mean, we, we were scouting hard and by the time archery season opened i had only found a couple of like two shooter bucks and these are not even big bucks but these are like you know kind of hitting that 180 or you know at least nice and wide you know upper 20s but still not big big bucks but like hey you know there's just it's kind of slim pickings right now and one of them was on private 
And there was a little piece of state ground right next to where he was at. And I, I elected not to hunt him because I just thought I, I don't want to sit there and stare on the private for the first you know, week of archery season, which is typically the best of the, of the season to be in the open high country. And, um, um, so I, I skipped out on him. Uh, the other, other buck was living on kind of a heavy timbered mountain that I just know better than try to archery hunt there, but I did it anyways. And sure enough, I never saw him. It's just, it's just too hard to bow hunt. There's not enough glassing opportunity. It's a great place to hunt when it's raining or snowing with a rifle because you can pussyfoot around and, and, you know, get a crack at those deer, but you know, with a bow and dry, and, but I still, I still burned up three days on it. And then, um, I decided to move to another area that I had scouted in August and I hadn't seen any good bucks, but I at least, at least had seen enough nice bucks. I th thought, you know, it's, it's, I didn't want any of them. But as we've talked about on this podcast, bucks attract bucks. And so I wanted to check that. And it's a real secure place too. They don't usually see a lot of hunters there. And so um, uh, about the third or fourth day of archery season, I packed into there. It's a long old haul in there on a horse. And um, let's see, I got in there on Friday and got to hunt Saturday, um, covered a bunch of country, um, found a few smaller bucks. And then the next day, um, the next day was Sunday and I was just wiped out. I had been hunting for five days and plus that big pack out um, um, uh, that day. So I took that day off, kind of got camped together, rested the horses. They had been going hard too. And then the next day was Labor Day. And um, uh, so I'm, I'm back out that morning. And this country is the kind of country where you've got about a mile of ridge line, two or three pockets in there that'll hold deer in it. But you, there can literally only be five or 10 deer in those two or three pockets at all. I mean, it's just, just not high density deer country. So I hit the pocket on the North end and got up on top and I'm glassing down into this little, pretty small basin, you know, not very big, you know, you could shoot across it easy without even a long range rifle. And I'm up on the top looking down in there and I see a good buck feeding below me at about 150 yards. Um, and, uh, I can tell he's, you know, 18, 19 inch backs, which are good. I'm looking at him from the side. I can tell he's got at least 12 inch back forks, which is really good. You know, we're talking, you know, book quality buck, at least on the back end. And, and he was feeding in some wind stunted spruce. So, you know, it's not like I could just get on him and look at him and, and immediately tell what he was. I had to watch him for a while. And, and I finally determined that he, that, that he probably grossed in the low one nineties, mid one nineties, somewhere in there, non-typical, non-typical because he was a little short in the front. Um, probably 22, 23 inch main beams, which is just not enough main beam to score real well. And, and, and he really wasn't that wide. He was probably maybe 25 on his frame, but he had some cheaters that put him out a little bit wider. Um, but he had everything to, to get into that kind of, you know, like I said, maybe, maybe mid one nineties. And so there's no way to stalk him. He's, he's below me 150 yards. It's, it, it's almost mountain goat country right there. It's just really rocky. I've just kind of learned that you don't sneak up on a deer and that stuff. You got to let him move. Well, as I'm watching him, he's looking to my right, which is um, a saddle at the top of the basin that allows you to drop into the backside of that base, excuse me, backside of that mountain. And then you're um, it's just some more feed areas that are over there. They're in the shade longer in the morning. So the deer sometimes head that way, not every time. Um, but I'm sitting there watching him and he keeps looking that way. And, and, and here's a tip for people and anybody can either confirm this or challenge it, but I've seen it a lot with older bucks. They will just stop and stare at things for a long time, like a doe, but, and I've seen them 
just standing out on big ridge lines, perfectly still, hardly moving. And I know what they're doing. They're listening and looking. I, 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 I don't see the younger bucks do it, I, but I've seen the older bucks do it. And, and that's what he was doing almost to the point. I'm like, man, is, is there another hunter up there or something? Or is there another animal? Or is there some elk up there or something? What is he looking at? And he's just holding still like for 30 seconds, just dead still. And it just finally dawned on me. He wants to walk through that saddle. He is lo- looking to see if the coast is clear. He's only got like 150, 200 yards to go to get to that saddle. And, you know, and, he, and he's, he goes back to feeding, but he keeps looking at it. And I thought, I'm just wasting time sitting here watching this buck. I can't stalk him. I should try to ambush him in that saddle. Left all my gear just laying on the ground. I'd like, I, I, like in five seconds, I realized I got to get there. You know, Swarovski spotter laying there, you know, my tripod laying there. I just took off. And um, I had to stay on the backside of the ridge. I made a little circle around it, um, um, hid in a little pocket of trees that was about 30 yards from that saddle and got my pack off. <laughs> so I didn't have to draw off my pack on and uh, um, put on my, uh, my, my, my new Gulu stalkers. <laughs> Excuse me. Correction. I did not have time to put on my Gulu stalkers. I wanted to, but I thought, you know what? I'm probably not going to be stalking him, but I took him out of my pack and took him with me. And so I get to the saddle and, you know, this saddle is not like, you know, 20 yards across, you know, it's, it's bigger than that. In fact, it's two little saddles that are probably from the top one that I'm sitting in to the ones below me, probably a hundred yards across. And right in the middle of it is a little clump of timber. I know he's not going to walk through that because it's all snags and everything. And I thought, man, if he walks through this one that's closer to me, you know, my maximum shot's about 40 yards. And so, you know, I got the ELs out, hit a couple of spots in, in that area to make sure I had the yardage right. And there was a little spot of dirt about the size of a dinner plate um, right in the middle of the saddle. So I hit it and it was 30 yards almost exactly. And I have a 30 yard pin. So I thought, okay, I'm 30 to 40 yards. If he comes through here, I'm just going to sit here. And, you know, then the doubt creeps in, you know, it's been like, probably took me almost 10 minutes to get in position, you know, and that deer only had 150, 200 yards to go. And, you know, most big bucks walk pretty slow. I mean, I was thinking I, I beat him there, but I still wasn't sure. I'm like, and he could have come through the saddle already. And once he drops onto that backside, it's so steep. He could be down there 80 yards and you might not see him. So, you know, I'm sitting there. Did he come through already? And I thought, you know what? It doesn't matter if he came through already. You can't do squat about it. And if he didn't come through, you you are set up. So just commit your morning and just sit right here and just just see what happens. And the way I'm sitting, I cannot see the direction that he's coming from very far, maybe 20 yards. You know, so it's not like I can look and see him coming. You know, it's just I just thought, just sit here. Jordan, I don't think I made it five minutes. And here come that big sucker. I saw the tops of his antlers coming up, but like I said, about 20 yards away, coming up below me. And he's below me probably 30 degrees. You know, it, it, it's pretty steep. And I'm like, oh my gosh, here he is right here. I can't believe this is going to work. And the way I was sitting, all I had to do is just rock forward and I'd be on my heels and I could draw my bow. And I had a little, I had a deadfall right in front of me that I put in front of me on purpose, or I sat behind it on purpose that would allow me to draw if something came through and I wouldn't totally be visible. So I got ready. He's still walking walking um, and he's going to come through the saddle and right as he gets behind the deadfall in front of me, I draw and I come up and I'm coming up. It's perfect. 
while he's walking, you know, and, you know, they can see anything at any time, but if they're walking, it's just that much harder for him to pick up movement. So as I, as I come up, um, you know, and, and I, I came all the way to, to standing so I could shoot over the, the deadfall in front of me. And just as I come up and kind of lock in, he sees, I don't want to say he saw me cause he didn't look right at me, but he saw movement and he stopped and he looked up towards me, but he's kind of looking past me just a little bit, you know, and, and I'm drawn looking at this through my peep and I'm just making sure that he's going to stay stopped. Well, this is where things started to come unraveled. And, you know, this is just hyper ADHD, Robbie Denning stuff. That's like immediately in my brain, he's like, oh, oh crap. He has seen movement and he's not going to put up with this. And so, you know, that puts me on edge too much already. I should have just put those thoughts out of my mind and concentrated a little bit more. He's about a deer length or more away from that dinner plate spot that I was talking about. So I thought he's probably about 35 yards. I'm just going to take my 30 yard pin. I'm going to put it high in the pocket. And he, by the way, he's at the perfect quartering angle, not too much, not too little. Okay. So I come up and put it in the pocket and touch it off faster than what I should have, but it felt awesome. It really felt awesome. And as, as the bow went off, you know, I heard the arrow hit him and, you know, you got that kind of millisecond where you can't see anything, you know, while you're trying to recover from your, from your shot and, you know, peering through your peep. And now you're just looking at the hillside. The next thing I see is now he's got his, his, his butt towards me and the arrow hanging out of him, but the arrow only went in about um, well, I don't know how long, I think my arrows are 27 inches. There's probably 20 inches of arrow hanging out. Ooh. I'm like, Whoa. And the height looks good, but I'm like, Whoa, why didn't I get any penetration? But then he's gone. Like that all happened in a half a second. And I'm sitting there thinking, why was that arrow sticking so far out of him? You know, I'm shooting a 450 grain arrow, 70 pounds. And my gosh, I should have oh, just man. pounded him. But because I only got to see him from behind, I'm like, gosh, did I hit him in the freaking shoulder? Like, like it, it's taken a second for me to kind of process this and, and, and he's gone. He, 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 he turned, he went down through that little patch of timber that was in the middle of that saddle, busted through that thing. I mean, you're like, you're, you're like so hard. You're thinking he's breaking antlers. In fact, I took pictures of it. He busted off pieces of blowdown that were as big as my forearm getting away from me. So I couldn't see him anymore and I, I couldn't really hear him. I mean, I heard a little bit, you know, I was kind of waiting to see if I could hear him fall. And the sound just kind of disappeared. So they're playing it through my mind. Why did I not get penetration on that? That does not make sense. And then it dawned on me, Jordan. I was looking at the arrow hanging out the other side. The arrow had gone completely through him, hung yeah. up on the fletches, and it was just kind of dangling. And, you know, just in my excitement, the, I, I just, in my mind, I was thinking that was the side I shot into. And I'm like, no, no, wait a minute. We're all good. I just got We're a freaking good. complete pass through on that deer. Now I'm getting excited. I'm like, oh, I just freaking pounded him. And, you know, <laughs> I, I can't tell where in the body I hit him, but the height looked good. You know, the arrow was hanging out about the about the tip of his tail height. You know, I'm just like, I just nailed that deer. Well, I know what that basin's like down in there. It's super rocky. I wasn't about to go walking down in there right away. I, this deer needed time to die. There's no way I'm going to get on him without him hearing me. And so I backed up on the 
slope. And man, I looked at my phone, I've got cell service. So, you know, I wouldn't be a buck hunter if it wasn't for my daddy and he can't go anymore. And, you know, I want to share all this stuff with him. So I call him and I told him what just happened, you know, kind of walked through the whole arrow scenario. And he's like, oh man, he's dead. Robbie's dead. He, but, but he agreed with me. He said, you know, just give him an hour, just give him an hour. It's freaking eight o'clock in the morning. You got all day. No big deal. Just, just enjoy your time and sit back. So, so I did, I sat back there. I put my gurus on and everything so I could, you know, sneak down there without spooking him. And I ended up giving him an hour and 45 minutes. Um, I, I think I shot him at eight 15 and about 10 o'clock. I started creeping down in there, went to where I shot immediately found my arrow blood from tip to tip dark blood though. And I was like, wow, I guess I, I just didn't get any lungs. You know, I thought I thought I would have hit lungs, but, you know, looked really good. Um, found where he went through the blowdown, got on his tracks. The, the, the hill is steep enough that every time he makes a bound, you know, you, you, you can see his tracks pretty easily. So for the first 40, 50 yards, I'm just following tracks and, you know, and I'm seeing blood, you know, I'm, and I'm expecting this deer, this deer's piled up right here somewhere, you know, I'm, I'm getting pumped. And, um, uh, you know, by like 1030, and I'm gone 50, 60 yards here. And I'm like, you know, there's not a lot of blood here. And I should be, I should be recovering a body here pretty soon though. You know, cause I know I hit this tier good. The blood continued as long as he continued down that steep angle of that slope. And he was kind of moving fast. Then um, I would find blood up to the size of maybe the palm of your hand, but not every step or anything like that, you know, basically you could see where he had stopped and you'd see a little bit of blood. I'm not getting any spurting blood out on the bushes. I'm seeing blood on both sides, which confirmed two holes, but you know, there's just a little bit of doubt starting to creep in now. Cause I'm like, you know, it's like 11 o'clock now and I've tracked this deer like 80 to hundred yards and, you know, and I'm on the right deer I'm finding blood where I should find blood, but I'm still not finding a lot. Okay. Let's hit the fast forward button. By like four o'clock, I've gone 200, 250 yards in this buck. And I've got dad on the text. I'm not calling him, but I'm, I'm texting him because the chink in my armor, among many, is I'm colorblind. And so when blood starts to dry, I have a very hard time seeing it. I can see it when it's shiny red, but when it starts to dry, it takes on more of a brown color to me. And, you know, this is something that I've had non-color blind people with me that are just shocked that I think that that is brown and they can see it perfectly. So I'm texting pictures to my dad, like, cause I'm now I'm down to like finding one drop of blood every five or 10 yards, you know, and I'm following tracks mostly. And I'm like, dad, is this blood? And he's like, you know, probably, probably most of them I sent to him were, but there was some of them. He's like, no, Rob, that is not blood. That is just discolorization in the soil. That's not blood, you know? So gosh, I'm just getting all mixed up on, on where I'm going and stuff like that. But, but the, the tracks were still, he had a fairly defined track. He didn't have a giant track, but you know, it looked different than all the other deer tracks on the mountain at about 200, 250 yards. He gets into other buck tracks and I can just tell, you know, they're blocky. Oh. Uh, and it's like, uh, is that him? Is that him? I, I could pull the pictures up on my phone because I was uh, I was taking pictures of it the whole time and shooting a little bit of video. I think, and the two pictures are time stamped. I think the last pictures I was taking were around five thirty in the evening. So ten a.m. to five thirty. What's that? Seven and a half hours. I'm just devastated that I'm not finding this buck. He's never laid down. He's almost completely quit bleeding by now. And you know, and I'm 250, 300 yards, something like that from from where I shot him. And 
it's a sinking feeling. And, and plus, I'm just exhausted. You know, you wouldn't think you'd be exhausted only moving that far, but just the emotion and, you know, crawling and, you know, having to back up a lot. You know, this is a 30 degree slope. It's just worn me out. And so, you know, dad's like, hey, man, go back to camp, take a rest, get back out there in the morning. Long story short, five more days. I, I hunted that buck. So I shot him on Monday on Labor Day. I never pulled out until Friday night. And I never left that little one mile square area where I had tracked him that whole time, except for one evening I went and hunted on just a little pocket that was down the ridge about a mile just to make sure he wasn't over there. Never found him, no birds, no nothing. Dad's telling me that buck's alive, Rob. I don't care what you think. You, you shot him too far back. You didn't hit him in the guts because you're not finding guts. You know, that, that buck's alive and well. And of course I'm thinking, no, no, I watched, I pounded that buck. You know I mean? It's just all the doubt, all the emotion mm-hmm. that you go through, but I finally pulled out Friday night. And uh, so, you know, what's that 10th, 12th of September um, uh, there's a rifle season up there in October. And, um, and that's why I didn't say anything to anybody. I really wanted to go back for rifle and just, you know, see, could I turn him over again? Am I going to recover him? You know, lose the meat, you know, whatever, just, just, a real flipping down or like one of the worst things to happen to me in my, my career of deer hunting. Um, so anyways, I'm, I'm home. I get rested up and, um, I inv- invited Travis Hobbs, you know, if he wanted to come on the rifle mm-hmm. hunt, he was chasing bucks somewhere else during the archery. So we didn't go together and he couldn't go. He's like, no, I got, I got some plans with my wife. We're going to another place. So I think the season opened on what did open on Sunday this year? And I was leaving Friday to pack back in. Uh, Thursday night, I get a text from him. <laughs> hey, Goose, what's up? You still going deer hunting? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> what, what are you doing? And he says, my plans fell through. My wife can't go. We're going to go later in the season. Is the invitation still open? I'm like, oh, yeah, of course it is, man. I said, you know, meet me here with the mules at this time on Saturday, we'll pack in. I had told Travis about what happened with the buck. And um, so, you know, so he was aware of it. And so mm-hmm. uh, we pack in, um, get there uh, Saturday. And um, the, the, that's when the big storm hit, if you remember. The storm hit on Friday. Yeah. But, you know, Saturday, we're still feeling the residuals of it. It snows all Saturday night. And um, my plan was to, to kind of hunt those slopes where we had, we had chased that buck. Well, opening morning. Uh, I'm like, Travis, there is no way we're going to see a buck up there. That's too high. You know, it's, it's over 9,000 feet up there. It's all fogged in. I said, let's not go in there and just bump around and, and bump him or other bucks out of there. You know, if, if he's still around, um, I said, there's some lower country on the backside of that peak that's below the fog line. Let's go hunt that. And Jordan, this is like 1200 yards out of camp. It's not very far. And so, uh, Travis and I take the horses over there. We tie them up. It's just cracking light. And as I, and, and, and this is basically, hmm, I don't know how to describe it. I shot the buck up on a kind of a big ridge line that was probably 9,500 feet, something like that. And we're hunting country that's probably more like 8,700 feet, 8,800 feet, just below the fog line. Between the top and that country, there's not really any deer country. It's all cliffy, you know, bighorn sheep, goaty looking stuff. You know, it, it's just not where I usually see him. So, you know, I'm not even thinking we're getting, even going to encounter the buck that I've seen. You know, I'm thinking, well, this there's bucks over here, but it's different country. You know, it's different bucks. You know, maybe they they overlap a little bit. So as we get over there, I kind of come over the skyline. We're still on the horses. You know, we're just off the horse trail a little bit. I kind of come over the skyline. I can see into that little lower basin and that ridge. And I'm like, oh, crap, we're, we're skyline ourselves. You know, I got to turn around, drop down, you know, 50 yards 
and, and get to a patch of timber we can we can we can tie the horses in so so that's what i did when we got over to the timber i'm like that stuff that i kind of almost rode into right there i said that that's where we're gonna hunt travis has never been here before he's like oh okay yeah he goes dude i think i saw a deer over there when when when, when we turn around he goes i think i saw one I'm like oh, great let's get the horses tied and let's get off you know it's game time you know it's legal shooting white now and um so travis just ties his horse walks about 50 yards and sits down um, where we're looking into the basin, there's timber right in front of us. So just imagine that we're looking over on a ridge line that's sort of open, but there's timber in front of us. And I told Travis, you really, the only way to glass this is you kind of just move down the ridge slowly and glass between trees. He's like, okay, got it. So, you know, I'm still, I, I've got my horse tied, but you know, I'm still kind of getting my gear together. I'm here, Travis, where they're going, dude, good buck, good buck, good buck. I'm like, oh, awesome. awesome. So I sprint over there. He's about 30 yards from me. And I sit down, I'm like, where at? He's like right there between those trees. See that, 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 that slot of open hillside over there. He goes, there's, it looks like a nice buck feeding right there. So I said, okay, I got it. Get your spot and scope out. You know, just kind of learn. Don't, don't take your eyes off the deer till somebody yep. else finds the deer, you know, cause you lose track of them. And I'm like, I got him. I see him. And I'm looking at him in my, in my eights and I can see, you know, kind of heavy bases coming up, dark, dark horns, but he doesn't look very tall. And I'm like, oh, okay, it looks like a decent buck. And I'm like, Travis, <laughs> have you got your scope ready? He's like, yeah, I'm getting it all ready. He's over there screwing around. I watched the buck. I don't know, however long it takes Travis to get ready, a minute, something like that. And I'm not super impressed. You know, I'm just like, yeah, hey, it looks like a nice buck. And Travis gets his scope on. He says, dude, big buck, big buck. I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like, yeah, big buck. And I, I said, let me take a look. So I, I squat down, look through the spotter. It's him. It's the buck I shot in archery season. Totally Dude. identifiable. I can recognize this buck in five seconds because of his antler configuration. Like I said, narrow, tall, deep backs, extra points on almost every main point. I'm like, Travis, that's him. He's like, are you kidding me? I said, no, dude, it's him. I said, we got to get this buck killed. By the way, this buck is about 800 yards away. Okay. So this is where Travis and I are hunting methods diverge. I'm not a long range hunter. Okay, I'm not against it. I'm just not a long range hunter. I've killed all my mm -hmm. bucks, basically 450 and in with the average being about 200. So I'm just like, God, we got to figure out how we can stalk this buck. He's clear across the basin. We've got timber between us and him. You know, we're going to have to get in the bottom of the basin to try to get a shot at him if we can even see him and travis is like dude i can shoot that buck from right here and you know i, I kind of give him a blank stare i'm like really he's like yeah dude he goes it's only like 8 8 10 8 20 <laughs> i'm like okay that's that's mm -hmm. fine with me and this goes back to the podcast you did last week spotter gets first mm -hmm. shot i'm not even thinking about shooting this deer by the way travis and i we we know we know the gig spotter gets first shot all i care about number one i'm so flipping happy this deer is alive and well <laughs> i am thanking god because you know just all that emotion of the last month of thinking i i wounded a deer i mean you just you just hate yourself you know and i'm just so happy and so you know i'm i'm, I'm all fine with travis shooting and i'm like okay dude if you can get ready that's fine. I said, but dude, let me drop off the hill into this timber. I think there's some openings below us and, and we can probably get a little closer to that buck. So um, he said, yeah, go for it. You know, he's got to get all set up. So I drop off the hill and start dropping down in the timber. And, you know, Travis is kind of right. It's almost better back where he was, even though I'm closer now um, um, that to, to get a better shot. But I did find one little spot down there that was like 700 yards, something like that. And so I just marked it. 
by the way, this is all happens in like three or four minutes. You know, we're not wasting a mm-hmm. bunch of time on this and the buck's just feeding. And, and as I'm looking over there, I can't see him anymore. There's enough broken timber though. That doesn't scare me. I'm like, you know, he's not going anywhere. He's just going to be right there. I get back up to Travis. I'm like, I'm like, what's up, bro? And he's like, I've lost track of him, but I'm sure he's still right there. I said, yeah, I couldn't see him either. I said, by the way, there's a place down the hill here where we can get probably about 700 yards. And, you know, Travis is no dummy. He's like, okay, let's do it. Let's, let's just do it. We can't see him anyways. Let's just get down there. So we drop off the hill. I show Travis where it's at. He's like, this isn't very good, dude, because we're on a really, really steep slope and we're going to be shooting up at the deer. Um, we got to find a different spot. So we move around a little bit. We find a big log and get Travis set up on it. And this is the first time I have access to the spot and scope, you know, cause I've been Mr. Stalker up to that point, trying to find us a place. So I get on Travis's spotter. He's getting his gun all dialed in. Um, 720 yards, if I remember right, is what we decided that buck was across the canyon if he was still there. I get on the spotter, really start picking the, the hillside apart. It's probably been like 10 minutes since we've seen him, you know, a full 10 minutes now. And he is definitely not standing there where he was. He's definitely not feeding where he was. I see no deer there. I'm tearing it up with the with the big swirl. I think I got Travis's um ATX 80. Um got her cranked up to 40, 50 power. And it's, we're right at the fog line, by the way, the, everything above us is fogged in. Everything below us is just kind of misty. And that's what we're looking into. I spotted the buck laying down. I could see his rear end and his back legs. And that's kind of one of the good things about when you're hunting country that hardly has any bucks in it. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's him. And so I, I, I guide Travis in like, can you see, can you see this and this and this? Oh yeah. Yeah. Dude, I see him. Okay. He's, and he starts making a joke. He says, yeah, if that's him, he goes, I can shoot him right in the butt right now. Of course we're not <laughs> going to, but you know, there we we've at least got the buck dialed in. And so, you know, I'm wearing out my eyeball on this, on the rest of this buck to, you know, just to make sure it's him, you know, to you know, Travis is already, if the buck stands up and it literally took me about 20, 30 minutes to finally confirm that is him. I saw, I saw his head turn enough, you know, and when a, when a non-typical turns, you see junk everywhere. And that's what I could see. Like it's him, Travis, it's no doubt. And he's like, okay, great. Basically all we got to do is wait for him to stand up and hope he feeds left because everything right is brushy and thick. If he goes that way, it's going to be tough. So we sit there, Jordan, almost two hours, you know, I'm getting cold and, and this buck is not, not getting up, you know, and, and, and by the way, the fog would roll in and kind of lower on the mountain. And we would go five or 10 minutes without even being able to see the deer. You know, we're just hoping, gosh, hope he doesn't get up while it's foggy and we don't see where he goes. Sure enough, that's what happened. One of those little fog banks rolled in and, you know, Travis and I are, you know, yakking back and forth. And, and by the way, this is what a gentleman Travis is. He's like, Hey dude, you got a history with this buck. Are you sure you don't want to shoot him? I'm like, yeah, thank you, Travis. I says, if we could get closer, I would. I have a 730-yard hash mark in my gun, but I'm just not down with that kind of shooting. If I can get closer, I'm not good at it. I haven't practiced it enough, and I'm not even so sure I believe in it. Um, I'm not against it, but it's just it's just not me. And I'm like, no, mm-hmm. we're good, Travis. Thank you very much, dude. I said, but you know what? I'm, I'm with you. We can't stalk any closer on this buck. We got cliffs to our left. We got a boulder field below us. You know, how are we going to get across that thing? You know, the only chance of me really getting a bullet in this buck is hike all the way to the bottom of the basin, jump over the backside of the ridge that he's on, come up behind him and, you know, probably come in and maybe get a hundred yard shot or less, which is, you know, kind of how I've done it over the years. But the money is definitely on Travis that, no, I think we're better off right here. And and then I asked him a couple of times because 
you know, this is my fourth long range situation I've been in on and um, they've never ended well. Nobody's wounded anything, but nobody's killed anything either. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, dude, if you think you got this, I'm all down with you shooting him. That is fine. He's like, yeah, dude. He goes, he goes, you know, from what I can see right here, he goes, you know, he says, I literally can shoot him in the butt right now. He goes, I'm rock steady on him. We got the yardage. We got the angle. We got, it doesn't look very windy, but that's the chink in the armor for the long range shooters is what is the wind doing over there? Mm -hmm. And you know, that fog is blowing in and out. There's no doubt there's wind over there, but he still didn't feel like it was very strong. So, okay. Got to get back to my story. The fog had settled in. Travis and I are yakking back and forth. You know, we can't see the buck at all. And all of a sudden the fog lifts. So I get back on the spotter, empty bed. I'm like, Travis, he's up somewhere. I don't know where, but he got up. Travis is on the gun. And he's like, I kind of lose track of who found him. I think Travis saw him through his scope. And he said, he, he, he's back in the trees. Or I saw him and Travis saw him at the same time. It doesn't matter. We picked the buck up again. And he, he had gotten out of his bed. And like big bucks are, he doesn't come out in the open. He goes further back in the trees. So we're watching him and he's, he's in broken timber headed for thicker timber. And, you know, we're, we're like, we got a 50% chance at this buck now because he's actually moved out from where we can see him and we're communicating back and forth. Can you see him? Yeah, I can see him. Yeah. I just went behind that big, big deadfall. Okay. I can see him. Okay. You can't see him. You know, we're kind of having this kind of conversation. And I said, Travis, I think he's going to come back out in the open on that kind of right hand side where he was maybe 50 yards out. Keep an eye on that. Buck disappears in the timber, can't see him for a minute. And then all of a sudden, bam, here he came, that big, beautiful bastard. I mean, this is one of the best looks I've got at him because (laughs) when I saw him in September, you know, he had a lot of green behind him. You know, I've got a little video of him. I'll eventually put together the film. People can see him, but now he's got snow behind him. I can see those freaking cheaters. Oh, he's a good looking buck. And I'm like, Travis, he's like, dude, I got him. I got him. I just need him to get out there and stop. I said, I think he's going to stay broadside by the way, by the way that he's feeding or, or he's not feeding yet, but you can tell he's getting, getting ready to feed. And you just know that as a buck hunter, here's a buck that's laid down for two hours. You know, he's, he's chewed his cud. He's ready. He's going to, he's going to feed for a few minutes. That's what we're waiting on. So, um, Travis is on him. The buck is sideways. The buck steps out. I told Travis, okay, dude, he's broadside. You know, take your time. Boom! (laughs) Travis shoots like right there. And I'm not saying he shot too fast. I'm not saying that at all. But I mean, once Travis had the buck, the buck broadside, he he took the shot. He wasn't messing around. Yeah, he wasn't messing around. And in that like two hours that we sat there, Travis kind of coached me, you know, watch for the vapor trail. You know, don't, don't tell me hold high, hold low. Tell me how by a deer's body like hey half a deer ride or half a deer low so travis shoots and i see nothing no vapor trail or nothing because it's kind of foggy and travis is mm-hmm. i'm like no reaction whatsoever can you still see him he's like where'd the bullet hit i said i can't see any Travis saw nothing he's like i oh, crap so he gets back on him the buck didn't run the buck just stood there you know we're 700 plus yards away you know he's just hearing a sound is what he's doing but he's alert i saw i saw his head turn travis sends another one boom nothing i did not see a vapor trail the buck we must have hit somewhere over there because the buck took a couple of nervous steps forward which actually brought him out even he was in the open already but made him actually a little bit more visible at least the way i remember it and i'm like okay travis he's still broadside he's like yep i got him boom this time i see the vapor trail 
and it's not good. It's way low. I said, Travis, low. And right then the buck took off. That bullet oh. hit at the buck's feet. The buck wasn't going to have anything to do with it. He took off, went over the hill. And so Travis and I are kind of playing it back. I said, the only vapor trail I just saw, dude, I said, you were way low. And it looked way right to me. And he's like, how? He goes, I just, I just don't even get it. I'm on the deer. You know, we're, you know, we're, we're bantering back and forth about this. I'm like, well, it doesn't matter, dude. He's gone and you didn't wound him. I know that. And I said, Travis, we got, we got a little bit of snow over there and he still doesn't know what happened. I said, mm -hmm. let's give him some time and let's get over there and get on his tracks. And Travis is just bummed out. You know, this deer's gone, but I'm, I'm like, Hey, we still know where he's at. Let's get over there. So it took us about an hour to cross that basin. And, and you know what, we had called it right. There was really no way to get closer to that deer because to get down in the basin below those cliffs, cause you couldn't be Spider-Man and go across the cliffs. Um, we had, we had to get low in that basin that the lower you got in the basin, the closer you got to the deer, the less you could see him just the angle of the hill looking up to where he was. I'm, I I'm 90% sure we could have not gotten closer by getting in the basin that he was in, you know, that, that would have been out. We would, if, if we'd have got been closer, you would have still not have been able to see him. So we get over there to Travis and I roughly an hour. Um, and we get up to where this buck was and first thing we do is, is go to the last place that Travis shot. And, you know, I, I know he didn't hit him, but, you know, we want to make sure. And we find um, where the buck's tracks were. And we can't find anything real obvious on the ground where, where the bullet hit. But we don't, we don't even care. We're just, we don't need to see the board of the bullet hit. We just, I mean, we're curious, but we're just like, we need to find this buck. You know, he's still on his feet. Maybe we can kill him. So I get on his tracks and I, I told Travis and, and he agreed with me, we're discussing this out. So it's not just like me running the show. I'm like, dude, it is so thick right here. The way that he went into that timber, I'm going to have my eyeballs on the ground trying to keep track of these, these, these tracks because the snow's not constant. It's broken snow. It's about an inch of snow in the herbs and forbs that de deer eat in, which means that you've got places on the ground where there's no snow. And I said, I'm going to have to be staring at his tracks and I'm, I'm not probably not going to be ready when I see this buck, you know, especially, you know, he's going to be turned on. He's going to be looking back for us. You know, he knows something happened. I said, why don't, why don't, why don't you get about 15, 20 yards off of me? And just, you just keep an eye on, on look at me and then look the direction I'm heading. And Travis agreed. Yeah. That's the only way we're going to kill it. So tra that's what we do. We go roughly a hundred yards and this is what I expected the buck to do. I thought the buck's going to leave the area pretty quickly, but he's also going to slow down because he still doesn't know what happened. That's pretty much what happened. We went about a hundred yards, you know, we're a, pretty much a running deer, you know, not the great big bounds, but you know, he's, he's moving out. And so we, we followed that hundred yards pretty quickly, but then sure enough, he got into some thicker timber and he really started to slow down. So, you know, I'm giving Travis the thumbs up. I'm like, you know, he's walking, you know, and Travis is, you know, he, he understands what's going on. Keep your eyes up and ahead. And, and the buck is dropping down the mountain, which means he's getting out of the good snow. Okay. So it's getting a little bit harder to track him. And these are all approximate yardages, Jordan, but maybe at about 150, 180, he's slowed way down. And now he's doing the back and forth and I'm showing Travis that way, like making my hand go back and forth. And, and Travis knows that means, okay, he's slowed way down. He probably bedded right here. So, you know, we're probably into two hours now of since Travis has shot at him. And I'm thinking this buck is bedded just ahead of us here. If we can just see him, we might get a bullet in him. 
and I'm ready to, you know, he's nobody's buck where just Travis probably has the advantage, but you know, I'm ready to shoot him too. And we get up to a big, I call him spruce, you know, maybe a big Doug fur, um, old growth stuff. This is the stuff they usually lay down in. Um, and I can kind of see into the timber and I'm like, that would be a perfect place for him to bed. And I'm kind of pointing Travis ahead and he's looking ahead and we can't see anything in there. And we move forward and sure enough, here's this big melted out bed and, you know, only maybe a quarter inch of snow that he laid in, but you could see it had just freshly melted. And, you know, the temperature's right about freezing right now. And you can just tell that the bed is really, really fresh and we can't see any tracks leaving the bed. And so first indication is we think that we spooked him and he jumped up and took off. And Travis is like, I think he just bounded out of his bed right here. Which direction did he go? Dang it. We spooked him. And in this kind of country, I write about this in my book, you can't spook them because if you spook them and they really speed up, you just can't catch them. I don't care if you're an Olympian, you just can't catch up with them. They can put so much country between you and them. They'll just wear you out. and You'll never get a shot at them. So we're kind of bummed. Like, oh, crap. We, we definitely, he definitely knows something's on him now. It's not just a random kaboom and something landed mm-hmm. by me and I'm just going to move. Am I going too long with this story, Jordy? No, okay. you're good. Just want to make sure you're not falling asleep there, girlfriend. This is great. Okay. No. Okay. Cause I'm in my element right now, but sometimes I go <laughs> way too long. So anyways, we're looking around here. We're kind of dejected like a oh, crap. We spooked him. And I'm like, Travis, look, there's a track right there, dude. I said, he didn't jump out of this bed. I said, we just missed the first few tracks. There's a track maybe three or four yards out of his bed. And there's, if you've ever read Tom Brown Jr.'s books, he talks about pressure releases. Pressure releases are when a heavy animal or person hits the ground hard. There's pressure that has to be absorbed by the earth when they do that. And it, in layman terms, you're going to see splash of, of debris or snow. There's no pressure releases in this track. This animal did not hit the ground hard. It's almost a classic buck track that you can just trace out. And I'm like, Travis, I don't think he's running. He's like, I don't think he is either. I think this buck just laid there for an hour. You know, it's been a couple hours now. So, Mm -hmm. you know, laid there for a little while and he didn't hear anything coming. And now he's about to resume his day, which means he's not going to move very far. You know, 10th of October, he's not going to go very far. These tracking jobs are usually very short. So we're pumped. So we get back on what we're doing. About the only advantage we've lost now is we're almost in mud. It's mostly mud with little patches of snow. So we move maybe 50 yards over the next half an hour. These are all approximations and it's pretty thick, but we're getting into what I call jack pines. These are immature conifers. And I don't know why it might be that maybe the sun can get to the ground a little bit, but I've seen a lot of bucks bed in them. And it might be because there's just a little bit of food still available. They can get up, you know, take a piss and, feed them, feed them in it. And they don't have to go back out on the open slopes. And I'm like, Jack Pines, Travis, you know, he's giving me the thumbs up. He knows it's gotta be right here, but it's pretty thick. So we go about that 50 yards that I'm talking about. I'm like, this is, I've seen so many bucks bed in this stuff, man. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to see this big bastard. You know, we might get a bullet in him. And I'm starting to notice there are other buck tracks. Have you noticed the second time in my story of tracking this buck, I'm getting into other buck tracks and I start to sound dejected because that's where you lose them. 
Mm-hmm. They get in with other deer. I talked about this in my book. They just know where the other deer are. They go to the other deer. It's the herd mentality. There's more protection in numbers. And I'm like, crap, he's in here with other bucks now. And, you know, I'm telling Travis, I'm pointing at the ground. He's up the hill from me, so he doesn't see it. And I'm like, there's all kinds of tracks right here, Travis. They're just getting hard. And because Travis is looking at me like, what's taking you so long? Like, we were pretty fast before him. And I'm trying to ferret out out all his tracks from the other tracks. And I'm not doing very well. I'm like, okay, I think that's his track, but there's another buck track. So Travis comes down the hill, and and I kind of show him. And I have a great picture of the, the last tracks. In fact, maybe you can use it for your um uh your screen art for your podcast <laughs> of the last place i confirmed his tracks it's his front left track and his uh, front and back right tracks where he stopped in this perfect little patch of snow and that was the last place we could really confirm and you could tell he stopped right there and he looked around and he just got mixed in with all these other buck tracks and so travis is making making bigger and bigger circles trying to pick him up and, and this buck has now probably dropped 500 to 800 feet in elevation down the mountain, you know, 200, 300 yards, but in elevation. So we're almost, at, we're out of snow, out of snow, other than that one little patch right there. We're basically out of snow. We lose him. We can't find his tracks. Oh, man. And so here's, you know, Travis is a big burly guy with a, with a beard like Sasquatch and, you know, little old short me and, you know, a <laughs> couple of grown men basically crying in their beer on the mountain. Yeah. Cause we knew oh, this man. is it. We lost this buck and you know, this is getting to be like, you know, noon, one o'clock now, you know, I mean, we've done our due diligence, you know, we've tracked in two or three hours. We went as far as we could. We went out of the tracks. He's probably right there somewhere within long rifle range, but you just don't know what direction to go. And you know, when you're on 30 degree slopes, it is no fun to make circles. You know, you just, you just, it takes so much energy. So we pulled out of there and abandoned the track and, you know, both of us thinking, you know, maybe we'll get a crack at him another day. Travis could only hunt one more day. I had nine more days. Uh, you know how it ended. I was there nine more days. Travis had to pull out the next day. I was there eight days by myself. You know, I hunted all around that mountain. The storm broke about the 15th. And so I really got out to where I could really start glassing country and not just, you know, hunting those little jungles that the, that the bucks go into. And I never saw him. I, I ended up turning up about four or five other bucks, you know, a couple of them were mature, mature, but no shooters. Got lots of good video of them. Um, I hunted that Canyon where, where the buck went into, of course I hunted the place, Travis, and I saw him, mm-hmm. you know, you, they never come back after you shoot at them. Not, not in that hunt. They don't, I never did see. Him. So we, I packed out of that country. I think I only saw about five bucks that whole week. Um, to, to say I was dejected. Yeah. But I had kind of gotten over that, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm thankful for everyday deer hunting, but you know, to find the buck and wound him and then to refind him and lose him. Um, I, I wasn't bitter when I came out of there, you know, I wasn't mad at God or anything like that. I mean, it was like, this is buck hunting. It's just how it is. It just, just is hard and um you know it just wasn't uh, as really, really got down to so um travis felt horrible you know he was hitting me on the satellite messenger all week like man are you still up there gosh we just gotta stick to the snow in the valley are you dead you know i feel bad i come up there i shoot <laughs> at the buck i leave you you know and i have no issues at all with <laughs> that you, you know i mean i couldn't have done any better by any means but 
anyway, so uh, so so Buck is, lives to fight another day. I'm very happy that whatever happened to him during Archie's evening, you see, is not a killing shot. I was hoping to get to do, do an autopsy on him when when Travis was shooting at him, and I could see exactly where I hit. My guess, Buck by the way, is I obviously didn't hit him in the pocket. I think I hit him back further than what I meant. Um, no man's land. I didn't, didn't seem to get any guts. There was no guts on the arrow and, you know, he healed up fine. That was, what was that? That was um, 35 days to the day after I wounded him that Travis found him and healthy as a horse. You know, I got to watch that deer feet out on that slope for a few minutes. And, you know, there were no, no problems with him at all. Couldn't see an arrow hole for all, all of you that are wondering, you know, I, when he was up, you know, I looked at, I looked at that exit side and then entry side. I saw him on both sides. Um, you know, there's a few spots of fur there that makes you wonder, but you know, it's, but it, it it's such a unique buck. I have no doubt it was the same buck. And by the way, Jordan, he was 700 yards from where I shot him. So where, where Travis shot at him in October, he was 700 yards from where I, where I hit him, you know? And so, you know, not saying that he stayed there the whole time, you know, maybe he did move, but like you always hear me say, for whatever reason, you know, they, they often come back and he was definitely back. So he didn't leave. Yeah, oh, he, man. So that's my bucket story. Damn Robbie. You've heard me well, say it before. If they don't, Colorado. there is, that'll be next week. And what I was going to say, if, if these things aren't breaking your heart, um, you're a lot luckier than me. Cause it just seems like you can try your guts out and sometimes things are still not going to go your way. Oh man. And how fast, how fast they can come back in and slip away. Yep. I know it's like, just like you're oh. reaching for the golden ring. It's you're almost in your hand and boom, it just gets pulled away. You know, Travis feels the same thing. I mean, he's, he's yeah. just heartbroken. He's just heartbroken. So, but anyways, that was something else too about long range hunting. I'm still not against it, but that is the fourth buck I have seen get away. And I am not saying I could have killed any of them with other techniques what long range hunting allows you to do is have a crack at them that you may not have a crack at them any other way, but yeah. this is four out of four since 2015 of big bucks. I have watched get away. And once you shoot at them, you don't see them again. That's just pretty much kind of, at least for that hunt, you don't. Um, and I'm not, too down with long range hunting right now. I'm not against it. I'm not talking about the ethics of it or anything, but I'm, yeah. I'm talking about the, the efficacy, what, how do you say that efficacy of it, the effectiveness of it. I'm still going to keep playing my odds at the shorter ranges. Um, I can control more. There's less of a chance of, of, of things going wrong. And, and, you know, Travis is, by the way, when we went back out after we tracked that buck, we went and found his bullet in the ground like i dug my finger back in the ground and no way oh yeah yeah we because i knew because i saw that vapor trail and i said it was low right it was an optical illusion it wasn't low right it was low he hit right at the buck's feet almost here's his track one yard below the, below the track is the bullet so it was just Man. an elevation thing um, travis said you know wind was coming down that slope obviously which would lower the the, the poi of the of the bullet um and so it it all, we checked his rifle later too um you know he had a 10 inch rock at a thousand yards so it's you know not the rifle um 
It rarely is. Um, just, just the conditions. And so, so this yeah. is where I'm at with long range hunting. You're still going to see me sh- hunting with relatively short range gun um, by today's standards. You know, I've got hash marks that go to 700, but as that story just proved, I'm not going to shoot at them at that far unless something's just wrong and, you know, they're hurt or something like that. Um, I'm still going to be that 400 yard kind of range is what I'm looking to get them in. And not that bad things can't happen then they can i've wounded bucks with rifles at short ranges i'm not not on my soapbox here at all i'm just talking about if you see i'm not walking around with big dials on my scope and bipods and all that stuff that's why because i'm still not convinced it's going to get me a lot more big bucks you know i want to i want to be 400 and in 200 Mm -hmm. and in if possible um that that's what i'm looking for um because i've just that was the fourth big buck I've watched run away from a from a long range shot. And, Oh, that's a gut egg too. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I think that, um, I like being able to shoot the distance if needed. And like in that situation, like you were saying, that was kind of the only shot that you guys were going to get at him unless you, you know, went over and you know, it, the odds were probably more in like, it would be better to shoot him back here when he doesn't at all know that anybody's there versus like just trying to jump him at 50 yards or whatever. But I don't think you have to try really hard to not make it your easy button because look at what I just about did. Like he was at 600 yards. I didn't think I was going to get any closer and I ended up shooting him at 250. Yep. Like you just, I think that you just can't, you can't let yourself get in a mindset to make it the easy button just because you want to kill a buck like right now, you know, that's right, Jordy. And, 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 and that's a good way to put it. And that's what I'm trying to say is I'm not saying I could have killed that buck any better than Travis. I am not saying that at all. There's the odds of me getting over there. Cause I had to come in below him. That never seems to work out. Get on the backside of that Ridge and come up behind him, which you know, that was at least an hour and a half to get over there. So, you know, really by then he was almost out of that bed, you know, and that's what everything would have been gone right. I wouldn't have got lost and, you know, turned around and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, a long range. Yeah. It's definitely can, can give you some other options, but I like the way you put it, you know, don't, don't make that easier button because mathematically and statistically, the shorter range you have to shoot. I don't care if this is archery, muzzleloader, or rifle, the more you can control. And I'll, and I'll quote Randy Omer because he comes out for a cold bow challenge every year. And, um, you know, he usually, he usually shoots 60 yards or under. And I'm like, wait a minute, man, you're one of the best archers out there. You know, I'm surprised that you're, that you're limiting it to 60 yards. He's like, too much can happen beyond that. There's just, no matter how good I am, you know, too many things, wind, branches, whatever. And, you know, you can apply some of that to long range shooting. So that, you know, the money is 60 yards and in is, is basically when I've talked to him, that's, that's, that's what he's, yeah. what he's aiming for. And, you know, I don't think he's saying he's never shot further than that. Maybe he hasn't, I don't know, but I know, I know one thing that, you know, he's, he's looking for that shorter range stuff and that's what I'm going to continue to do, you know, and that's why I still just got a scope with hash marks in it, which, you know, I'll fully admit by 20 years ago standards, that's a long range rifle. You know, mm-hmm. but you know, the, the 800 yard, 700 yard stuff and everything, I'm, I'm still going to do what I can to, to work my way in. And, um, uh, and I don't feel like I'm dancing with the ugly stepsister by doing it. Yeah, man. Damn it. Got ache, Jordan. Yeah. Got ache. Well, like we said, 
You have one more hunt coming up. Yep. 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 I'll be in Colorado next week. Um, I get a hunt with uh, Scotty Thompson of uh, nice. Thompson long range. Um, uh, I'm hunting with my gun. He doesn't have a tag. He's just being a nice guy and coming helping me out. He can't come till towards the end of the hunt. So, um, uh, but he's got me all laid out and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll spend some time looking around. And if I haven't tagged out, he'll be down there to help me the last couple of days. So look forward to hunting with him. He's, he's a big buck hunter and he's a lot of fun to spend time with. I don't know if you've met him yet or not. I don't think I've met him in yeah. person. No. Yeah. He's one of Travis's friends. And so, um, uh, they they own uh, Thompson long range. Uh, they, they have that whole system of shooting hash marks as well. Um, but you know, he's kind of, even though they're, those are long range rifles, he's, you know, I've listened to him. He's, he's still looking for that 700 and in, in type shot just because of, you know, so much can go wrong out there beyond that. Mm-hmm. So and by the way, if anybody's out there and you're feeling insulted because I don't, I'm not a long range hunter, please don't let's not waste each other's time. Okay. I'm not, I'm not against you. Okay. I'm just saying for me and for what I do, I just, that's just not the direction I'm going to go. That's, that's, that's mm-hmm. all I'm saying. Understandable, man. All right. Well, thanks for telling the story. You bet. You got the exclusive. No one, we haven't, yeah. I haven't been on anybody else's podcast yet. So I'll get, I'll get it rolled out right away. I am working on another book, Jordan, no promises on when it'll be out, but, um, uh, that, that okay. story will probably make it in there. And Travis is thinking positive. He's like, Hey dude, he goes, I think you're going to have a long history with this buck. He says, I don't think it's over yet. You're going to have other years. I've had a hard time finding big bucks on public land from year to year, you know, the same bucks. It has happened a few times. So, you know, I'm, I'm a little more pessimistic about it, but you know, maybe he's right. Maybe this isn't the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Well, I am pretty good at keeping secrets, Robbie, yes, and I have a camera. So, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah, I know. Exactly. I can- That's what I should have done. <laughs> I should have had you filming it because now we'd have the dirt on Travis. Wouldn't it be great? Oh, yeah, we would. <laughs> oh man, we could really tease him now. Oh, geez. I'll keep that in mind. All right, man. Okay, girl. Thanks a ton. You bet.